Hey, afternoon. Afternoon already? No, man, you're early. What time is it? Yeah, afternoon. Good afternoon. What honor it is to stand here this morning. Um, We've got a lot to go through. We're going through the, the 3D gospel, Titus. We've been going through Titus over the last few weeks. Um, and they called it the 3D gospel. I didn't get it at first. I was looking at this picture that Ephraim sent me. I'm thinking, hmm, okay, 3D gospel. But after going through, it's, it's very apparent that it's a, it's a, it's a letter that's full of um, application. And it is very much comes to life and brings it to life, brings the church to life. So we've heard, we've heard over the past few weeks how we as Christians are to behave ourselves. We heard instruction for older men. Big up Pastor Ephraim. Pastor, I'm the same age. Kane, big up yourself. Mikey P, Mr. Carnegie, me as well. We heard um, instruction for older women. I better be quiet. I mean, I'm not even looking at nobody right now. Younger women and younger men. Anu, happy birthday. It's our birthday today, you know. Happy birthday, Anu. Younger women. Um, also, bond servants, and in some translations, slaves. Was anybody not here last week? You wasn't here last week, was you? Okay. Now, Pastor Ephraim did a really good job at explaining the difference between the transatlantic slave trade and slavery that's spoken of within the Bible. But in case you missed it, I just, I just want to give you a one verse from the Bible that, that is something that you, you should know and should carry with you. Um, Exodus 21.16, it says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. That is what the Bible says about slavery as we know it. Slavery that we have going on today with the, the sex trade and all this business. All this, this is what the Bible says about slavery. All right. Now, the Bible also says that the devil will come as an angel of light. So you have to test all things and hold on to what is good. The Bible and twisted scripture was used to oppress people. The first slave ships that left Deptford um, Harbour, whatever they call it, Deptford, were blessed by the church and sent out by the church. The Bible has been used for all kinds of things. When you take out a little piece and you, you make it mean what you want it to mean. But you want to know what the Bible says about it? It says they should be put to death. So the Bible and twisted scripture has been used to oppress people from blatant church involvement to slavery to pimps in the pulpit making money. Making you feel obliged to have to give your money to them every week. And making you feel like you're cursed if you don't. Pimps. Satan even quoted scripture to Jesus when he was tempting him in the wilderness. He took him up and, and, he, and he used scripture. We know that with, with, with Adam and Eve, he, he questioned, oh, does God really say? That's, if he does that, how more is he going to do that to you and me? So as I preach this morning, I want you to open your Bibles or turn your Bibles on. <laughs> and know for yourself if I'm speaking truth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe, Lord, you breathed out the stars. Yeah, what is man that you are mindful of him? We are made from dust, but Lord, you loved us while we're in our sin, Lord. You loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us. You have made us to have a right relationship with you where before we, you know, we, we couldn't come near you. We couldn't come into your presence being holy, your holy God. And Lord, you've given us your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a definition of an uneducated man. I left school at 14, 15. I, yet, Lord, I pray that you would use me to communicate your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would open hearts and minds this morning, Lord, to receive your word, that your word would deposit in people's lives and, and, and it would grow because your word is living, it's alive. And that people would be transformed today, whether they've been a Christian for 20 years or they're not even a Christian yet. I pray that today things would change. Lord, we can't come into your presence without change happening and, and something to take place, Lord. And I pray this morning that that is exactly, exactly the case. Please, Lord, use me, Lord. I can't stand here by my own strength, Lord. 
I certainly can't communicate to people in my own strength. So I pray that you use me, Lord, this morning. I pray that you just open, open up people's hearts and their minds, Lord. I pray that somebody gets saved today. I pray that our life changes today, Lord. Please, Lord. Let us as a church change today, Lord. I pray, please, Lord. The power of your word, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. So our, our text today, it concludes chapter 2 of Paul's letter to Titus. Um, Titus has been sent to Crete to sort them out. They've got churches going on with all kind of things that is not right. So Paul is sending Titus to, to deal with the case. Uh, so we're going to look at verses 11 to 15. I'm going to read from the ESV. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So at, at Bible study, we go, through, we go through the scripture verse by verse. We, we spent three and a half years to get through the book of Luke. When we've been in Acts for a year and we're, we, we're on chapter 10. It takes time going verse by verse. Sometimes... Like last week, we had 25 verses. I, I have to do what's presented to me. I can't split up. and just, It's not topical teaching. Um, we had 25 verses to get through, which is a, which is a lot like, for us. Um, one time, there was just one, one verse consisting of four words, and that took us past the hour. I handle it how I read it in order to teach it. However, if I'm invited to, to teach at our church, I'm given the scripture. They tell me what I'm teaching on. So this week... I see that I have five verses, which is cool. I thought five verses is cool. But when I read the five verses, once I read it, I was like, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you, the first verse alone could demand an encyclopedia. I practiced this word all morning because I can't pronounce it. An encyclopedia. Thank you very much, Viv. Just to expound on the depth of content, that's here. What did Pastor Ephraim tell us about last week? The Britannia... Encyclopedia, encyclopedia the, the Britannia Encyclopedia. So back in the olden days, when we were young, used to have, used, people that had a lot of holy for money used to have these books in their house because we, we never had that. We had no TV or nothing like that. But people had the book. I've seen the books. I know the books. And that's got all your information that you need according to Britain. Is, is that fair enough to say? So it's, it's a book of knowledge and other stuff. You would need those just for this one verse. You would need a whole load of books. And there are loads and loads of books written. There's libraries full of books written on the subject of grace. God's grace is the deepest, most profound subject you could ever discuss or attempt to explain. So it's a reality check. We don't, we don't have forever. We have a period of time. I asked Stephen beside, how long have I got? And I'm going to say what he said because people get frightened. <laughs> These five verses have more content than an instruction manual to build a spaceship. So in order to attempt to do this some justice, I've tried to split it up into um, four main points to consider. There was five originally, but the first two, I, I couldn't separate them. I had to put them together. So if you're taking notes, I'm hoping this, this might help you. Um, grace and salvation, training, waiting, and declaring. So our first verse is verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, Pastor Robert, I know he's here somewhere, he always says if there's therefore, in the starting of a, of, a, of a passage, you need to look backwards and see what it's there for. I would say the same thing when you see the word for. I tried to look in, in, on the, online to look at grammar, because you know my grammar is excellent, as you can tell. But I was trying to look at um, you know, what, what, how, is that, how it's used, like saying for, when you start with for. Um, I didn't find out, but I do know. And you have to go back. So if, if it says for, blah, 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 you need to go back and see what preluded the for. What was there before it? So in our text, everything that we've heard over the past few weeks in Paul's letter to Titus hangs on this for. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This verse is speaking of Jesus. 
The name Jesus is our English translation. I remember talking to someone saying, you know, there's no, there's no letter J in Greek. You know, the Bible's made up and Shakespeare wrote the Bible. And really, like, I have to be polite. It's really like an, an uneducated kind of reasoning. You know what I mean? Of course, there's no letter J in, in, in the language. There's no, is there, there's no J in Spanish either, I don't believe. Am I right? Spanish speakers. You know what I'm saying? It's not, you don't have that. Um, Jesus is our translation of the name Yeshua, which means salvation. Salvation is spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Is Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes, he is. Salvation is spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And in one verse in particular, it's personified beyond any reasonable doubt. And that is Isaiah 62, 11. It says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Read it again, exchanging the word salvation for Yeshua. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your Yeshua comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Behold, your Jesus comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. John 3.16 says that, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're seeing fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah. This is the grace of God, that while we were sinners, while we were in our sin, dead in our sin, enemies of God, He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Why would God send his son to die? Why is there a need for him to send his his son to die in our place? Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In order to reconcile us with a holy God, To be accepted and adopted as his children, his very own children, the penalty of sin still has to be paid. And we could never pay it. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We all. Jesus lived a life without sin. He was perfect. And lived a perfect life, a sinless life. So death had no authority over him. It had nothing to do with him. Remember, Jesus said that no one takes my life, I give it up. They couldn't have took his life. He gave up his life on the cross. He suffered and he died for each one of you personally, for me personally. He did that for us. He was a blameless Passover lamb. And he paid for the sins of the world, for your sin, for my sin. And he did this over 2,000 years before you were even born, knowing exactly what is in your mind, all of those deep, dark things that you don't want exposed. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the deeds that you've done. He knows the sins you're going to commit, yet he still bled and died for you and me. He knew that countless times you're going to deny him. In your words and in your actions, whether it's at work with your friends or out of road or you're doing something, and you don't stand up for the truth. He knew that. He died for you. He died for you personally, although you were his enemy. Ephesians 2.8 reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Now, Bible study a few weeks ago, we do Bible study upstairs, just to let you all know. Um, there's a couple of people come to it, so big up yourself. <laughs> Bible study a few weeks ago, we were discussing miracles, and we concluded that the, the greatest miracle, because miracles are a hot topic, right? You know, you want to see someone's leg grow, I'm sure we'll do, and we, you know, you want to see this kind of thing. The greatest miracle is spiritual healing, is to be, is to be right with a holy God. That is the greatest miracle that you're ever gonna, you're going to experience personally and you're ever going to witness. It's the reconciliation between a sinner and God. By his grace, by his free gift, we are saved. Saved from eternal separation from God. Saved from hellfire. Romans 3.24 says, And are justified by his grace as a gift. As a what? As a gift, I wake up this morning. As a gift, it's free. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You cannot earn it and you sure don't deserve it. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's grace is the only way a man can be saved. One Corinthians one four. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Oops, wrong one. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. First time I heard that was in a rap, but I found that that's quite a popular saying. I didn't. I thought I was going to try to attribute it to one person, but it seems like lots of people say that God's riches at Christ's expense. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We're still on that first verse. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Already here we see, we see what I, I, I call the pulpit pimps. Teaching for shameful gain. Members of the circumcision, that's Jewish people, the Jews, laying religious demands on people in order to receive salvation. To outwardly become a Jew through circumcision did not qualify you to be saved. The grace and salvation spoke of, spoken of in the Bible was for all people, not just the Jews, and it was a free gift. It is a free gift. Religion is man's attempt to be holy and right before God. Laying religious demands on people is wrong. You cannot earn salvation. And you, you can never ever be holy or righteous enough or religious enough to qualify for salvation. Does any, can anyone tell me, I didn't write the, this down, but can anyone tell me what the Bible says is true religion? You might not get it verbatim, but what, what, does it, what does the Bible say? What is true religion? Say it loud so you can hear. Looking after the widows and, and the orphans. It's basically doing what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian is true religion. Not all these man-made things, precepts and stuff that you must do. That's exactly what the Jews did. And that's why they got in so much problems. Because they kept putting all these laws, all these laws. We were going through Acts at Bible study. And we, we were learning that when, when Peter had to... Eight years, you know, since Jesus resurrected. And they were told to go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel to every, every, everybody. And they still hadn't preached to, no, to the Gentiles. You had Gentiles saved like the Ethiopian eunuchs. So the, the gospel has gone to Africa from, the, from day one. But, but right here... Peter had to sit on the roof and have, have this vision from God to explain to him what I say is clean is clean and then go to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel. It was a big deal because, and he says in Acts that Jews are forbidden to talk and reason with anyone who's not a Jew, basically. There was, there was a, it was a complete segregation, apartheid, us and them. That's exactly what was going on. But that was never scripturally taught. That is what the Jews had put on themselves. They were told not to intermarry with other people because of where they were being put. But they took it further, further, and further and segregated themselves. Salvation is for all people. So religion, religion can be a very dangerous thing. It's like someone buys you a gift and then you try and pay for it. They buy you something really nice and pretty and expensive and then you want to try and yeah, let me pay you for that. That's a, it's an insult. How are you going to pay for a free gift? Don't insult God. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. As prophesied by Isaiah, Yeshua, a.k.a. Jesus, a.k.a. Jesus, a.k.a. salvation appeared bringing salvation to all people. So don't look on nobody and, and, and regard them unworthy of the gospel. Don't look on people and their lifestyle, what they're going on with, what they've done in the past and think that they can't receive the gospel. You never know what is going on in a man's heart. Think about Saul. When they stoned Stephen, they dragged him out and they, they, they stoned him. 
these religious leaders. Saul was standing there giving approval. They laid their coats at his feet because he was a man of importance and he gave approval. Who knows that the religious leaders themselves, are not, they're not the ones picking up the stone, you know. But he gave approval. That man seeked um, a letter to go, and go, to go to Damascus to find the Christians, to drag them out, bind them and drag them to court, back to Jerusalem, a 150-mile journey. My man's got his certificate and he's going. He's going to go and deal with their case. He ain't playing with them. They are, it's a cancer in Judaism, this Christian nonsense. He's going to go and destroy it. Yet that man was invaded by Christ on the road to Damascus, like that. It took 14 years before he started his ministry, which is quite an important thing to know. But like that, boom, his life was changed. Saul became Paul and wrote the majority of the New Testament, I think the letters we're reading today. So never look at somebody, you have a family member or you have someone who, 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 who you know out of road. I know you all have someone like that and you feel like, well, I can't share the gospel with them. I can't talk about Jesus in front of them. Talk about Jesus, speak the word to them. I'm not telling you you must beat them with the Bible and keep preaching at them, but speak the truth. Talk to everybody like they're a Christian. Talk the truth because you don't know what's going on in their heart. I've told many people that when my sister, my sister died of cancer, when my, my older sister, when she was dying, she was so anti-God, she really didn't want nothing about God, didn't want nothing about God. And I had her Bible, you know, and I kept her Bible. And because it was hers, I always kept it. So I was homeless for, for a while, I slept in graveyard, everything. And I always kept her Bible. The only possession I ever kept was her Bible because it was her Bible. And then I, I, when she was dying, I went to her house to give her her Bible. And everything was in me, it was like, I can't do this. She's gonna, she, she, she ain't going to receive this. She's going to cuss you. But I just knew I had to give it to her, and I gave it to her. And as I gave it to her, it fell on the bed, and it fell open. Because she said, oh, yeah, I'll take it. The kids might look at it. And as I passed it to her, it fell, and it fell on the bed open. And as she picked it up, she went, oh, oh, I didn't know it said that. And something caught her eye immediately, and she saw it. And then she put it down. But I don't know whether she picked it up again or not. I don't know that while she was dying, she had cancer and her lungs were filling with fluid and she drowned to death in her bed. She couldn't, just as she was dying. I, I don't know if God met with her there and then in her stupor. I don't know. But I have hope. I have hope that I will see her again. We can have a hope and we can have an assurance. Because if Jesus is Lord of your life, you have an assurance. It, it, it's more than hope, you know. You have an assurance that you're going to live for eternity, that you have forever to live. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Our second point is training. Who is training us? God, through his grace. Do feel free to shout at me. And, and you know what? I, 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 I tend not to finish sentences a lot. And if I do that, um, please do, uh, you know, say... And, you know what I mean? Ask me. Be straight. I'm a straight-talking person. Be straight with me. We are family here together. And I'm, I'm trying to present the word of God. So this is a serious thing. So if I say something and you don't feel like you've got all of it, put your hand up and ask me, all right? Don't feel no way, please. You see, when a person is saved by grace, the natural response is repentance. That is your natural response to being saved. And that produces good works. Baptism is among one of your first good works because we are commanded to do it. Um, it's a public declaration of your salvation. We're instructed to be baptized. Baptism cannot save you and is not a condition to be saved because salvation is a free gift from God. Baptism is an outworking of your salvation. To suggest that, that baptism in any way is essential in order to be saved is calling God a liar and it's an insult to the free gift given to you. The free gift was the humiliation, the beating, the murder of God's son, Jesus. How can you pay for that? How can your religious works or your things you do, how can you pay for what he has done for us? They can't pay for it. There's nothing you could do. What are you going to do? Give your life? What's your life? What, your life is worth Jesus' life? Are you mad? There's nothing that you can do. To repent is not to say you're sorry, it's to show you're sorry. It's to turn 180 degrees, I hope I get the degrees right, you know, 360, 180, I don't know. It's 180 degrees in the opposite direction, to go in the opposite direction, to where you was going. It's to turn away from your sinful life. You start living a life of someone who is saved, sanctified, set apart, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized. Can I get an amen in here? Amen. Amen. We have been changed. We have been, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. 
You would not have liked me if you knew me before, before Jesus. I promise you. There's not one person in here that would have been someone that I hanged out with. That, that I'm not saying I don't like none of you, but you, I mean, you would not have parted together. We wouldn't. Training is not an overnight thing. It's a process over time. In fact, the Bible says that our flesh and our spirit will be at war until we're dead. It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. And the battle is seriously on. A loving God will take us at our own pace through that transformation into holy people. We talked about this before. I talk about this all the time. I used to live my life and I can look back at all the hard... I've had a lot of hard knocks through my life, as I'm sure many of us have. And I always... I got tough and I thought, nah, all these bad things happened to me have have made me who I am. So I'm not sorry for these bad things. I'm glad because the hard knocks made me who I am. What a lie. The hard knocks robbed you. Every time someone hurts you, whether it's a relationship or physically or whatever it is, every time something happens to you, you put on protective layers like an onion. And you put on layers upon layers upon layers. And then that's you walking around with all this body armor and protecting yourself. That ain't the real you. The real you is when you meet Jesus because Jesus very slowly will peel these layers off over time, over years. I've been a Christian over 15 years, yet he's still dealing with my case, showing me this is offensive to me, son. When you do this, this offends me. Like, not just offends me, I can't look at it. It's disgusting. You need to stop it. And I was never aware of these things. And he's showing me, showing me, showing me. That's because he loves us. And very slowly he will peel off your layers, all your protective layers. The true you is in Christ Jesus. Your real true identity is in Christ. How should a saved Christian look? Galatians 5 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of whose Spirit? God's Spirit. We are to take on the attributes of God's Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is how we are supposed to look. These are the attributes that you need to aspire to as a Christian. As the world around us charges head on into into depravity and all kind of madness, we have to stand firm, standing on the, the solid, sure rock, which is Jesus. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to the training and be transformed. Leviticus 20.26, God said, You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. It's not an optional extra. You cannot be in God's presence and remain the same. Change must come. Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? Who don't hear must feel. I was taking my daughter. My daughter's not in here, she, no, she's in children's. Yeah. I was taking my daughter to school the other day. And, I, and, and I'm coming down the road and I'm, I'm going to join a main road. And I, I see my opportunity just to edge out, you know what I mean? And this bicycle's coming and he, he stopped in front of me and was looking at me. And I thought, okay. I said, go on, go through, man. And he took great offense to that and started doing all sorts of hand signs to me and all sorts of that. And I couldn't understand what I did wrong. But do you know what I wanted to do? I'm going to talk in code because it's children. Do you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to drive around the outside of all the cars and lick him down. That's, I'm going to say it like that because I don't want... I, and I'm not joking with you. That's what I wanted to do. They're angry at me. I'm like, I'm like take, him off, take him off his thing and blah, 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 over him and go about my business. That is what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. And do you know back in the day, that it's probably something stupid that I would have done? The grace of God. I exercised self-control and I didn't do that. I think I might have, I didn't say no bad word, but I think I might have told him to go about his business. But I didn't do what was on my heart to do. I, 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 I responded to the situation and I didn't react. I said this at men's meeting the other day. I, I've learned to respond to things. I used to react. You know, it's that, it's that Irish descendant blood in me, Jamaican temperament. It's just kind of like, I always used to react. And it don't matter. It could be like the biggest man in the world. Like, it just didn't matter with me. I was just off key. It just didn't make no difference. I, I, would, I would react in a very, very explosive way, an extreme way. And, and thank God I don't do that anymore. I don't do that. And I try my best. I still react in certain scenarios, but nowhere near like I used to. And I try to, I try to respond 
It was pointed out that you can't, you can't put out what you don't have in. And if you've got anger in you, if you've got unforgiveness in you, then you've got anger in you. If you've got someone in your family or you've got someone in your life that you've not forgiven, then you've got anger in you. Forgiving doesn't mean that you're going to just say it's okay. It doesn't mean it's okay. It means you're letting go of all the anger and all of the, the animosity and all of the, the grudgeful and all the hatred and you want murderous intent. All of that inside you is letting go of that and saying, no, you know what, I forgive you. I forgive you. You need to forgive. Fruit of the Spirit. This is one of the, Galatians 5 is one of, the, one of the real key things for me. It's something that you must put on your wall or something. Do you know what I mean? These are the fruit of God's character. These should be the fruit of your character as a Christian. The next heading is waiting. What is it to wait? Verse 13, Titus 2, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Waiting here is not like waiting for a bus or a train that might come on time or might not come at all. It's not, that's not the waiting he's talking about. According to the text, we're, we're waiting for what? What's the first segment say? We're waiting for our blessed hope. And what is the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is returning to judge and rule. Jesus is returning. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You, does that not excite you? Jesus is returning. Our King of kings and Lord of lords is returning. And do you know what? I'm going to be in his entourage. I, I'm, I'm going to be with him. I used to go, when I said DJ, I used to go in the club and everyone wants to walk in with you. And people at the security would come and carry your records and that. And people, everyone buying you drinks and that. And you'd walk in and I'd feel like, yeah, you feel all like a super, superstar. Do you know what I mean? That's rubbish. The king of kings. When we say every knee, it's like, because some people don't like you. Don't matter how famous you are. People, some people like you, some people don't like you. This is the king of kings. Every knee will bow. No matter what their feeling is, what religion they have, whatever they're going on with in their life, they will bow to the king of kings and we will be with him. Revelation gives probably the most detailed account. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and, by, oh, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King Jesus is returning for his bride. The church is his bride. We, he is returning for us. Our waiting is not in vain. Our waiting is not idle twiddling your thumbs. I had to look that word up in there because I wasn't sure. Twiddling, twiddling, twiddling your thumbs. That's not our waiting. Our waiting is living expectant lives knowing our king is coming. King David wrote in Psalm 69 verse 3, I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. To wait on the Lord is, is to rest in the confident assurance that regardless of the details or the difficulties that we face in life, God never leaves us without a sure defense. Remember when Moses had the Israelites and he's come to the, to the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh's armies are pressing on them and they're panicking. What are we, we come here to die. What are we going to do? Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Be still. The heavenly perspective comes as we focus not on the trouble, but on the Lord and his word. A commonly made up verse, when I say made up verse, it's not, the verse is not in the Bible, but a common one that people say is, um, God won't give you more than you can bear. That ain't in the Bible. 
They get that from 1 Corinthians 10.13, where it's talking about um, temptation. Speaking about temptation. Let me tell you, in your life, you will have times of despair, and you will feel that it's more than you can bear. How many people in here today are facing more than they can bear? How many have had times in life where it is more than you can bear? As Christians, it is at that time when you're, when you're back up into a corner that you have an opportunity to turn away your, 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 from your human viewpoint and wait upon the Lord to show his power, his purpose, his salvation. God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. How many of your troubles are consequences from your own actions, be it sinful or just poor judgment? Consider the Christian who's being tortured because of his faith. It's not them kind of double troubles that you're dealing with. I'm not trying to dismiss the troubles that you're going through. Troubles are relative to each of us. Take care of your business and support one another, knowing that God is good and he is not a liar. And, and, and his word, his word is, 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 not, is a word fallible. I like to use posh words, you know. His word is not, is not fallible. It's not foolishness. I keep reading. I actually post all the time. People say to me as well, as long as you've got your health. I see posts up. It says, as long as you've got your health. Do I? That's all I can say. People say, oh, as long as you've got your health. Do, do I? I ain't never had good health. When I was a baby, I had whooping cough. And that caused damage to my brain. The calcification on my brain gave me epilepsy. Then I spent my life having seizures. And I'm not going to tell you a tip of the iceberg. I'm not even going to go into it. I was beaten when I was 11 years old by, when I was 11 years old by a gang. It was safe for the white boy, safe for the white boy. And I got, I got beaten. I couldn't talk for a year. Because they, they damaged my brain. I couldn't speak for a year. That was at school. At the, at the Oval. I crashed my motorbike at Brant's Hatch and shattered my sternum. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. More recently, they, they, they realized that I was born with an abhorrent artery. Don't, don't ask me. I don't know. An artery goes through my throat. And all my life, I felt like someone strangling me. All my life, it's been like that. And no one ever believed me. No one ever listened to me. I, can't, I couldn't hold my hand up in school too long because I'd, I'd, I'd get dizzy. And it's because this artery is, is going through my throat. Now they're cutting it out. You know what I mean? 46, I'm going to be 47 in January. And now they're dealing with it. And they're going to cut it out. There's so much more that I could tell you. I've never had a day in my life without pain or sickness. Never, ever. I've never had a day where I feel, oh, I feel great today. There's always been a pain or sickness. Always. Do I have my health? No. I'm alive. My spiritual healing has come. My physical healing will follow. Be it in this life or later, I don't know. I don't care. I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. And I'm grateful for life. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For who? For who? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for, for good. Do you believe it or not? Is it true or not? I believe it because I know it as a fact through my life. The command to wait on the Lord means that we are to be near him and to be attentive. It's kind of like a waiter in a restaurant. I hate going to restaurants. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you're trying to get their attention. I feel like a fool because I'm going to, every time they go past you, it's kind of, and then you call out, you say, excuse me, excuse me, and they don't hear you. And it's just embarrassing. Don't be like that waiter. Don't ignore God. Don't be so distracted by worldly things that you miss God calling on you. How many of you have ever come to Bible study? Nobody. Nobody. I, I know you do, Viv. That's why you're here tonight. I, I, I say three people. Four, you've been. But in general, you don't come. None of you come. I don't need you to come to my Bible study, but I'm going to tell you something. It, we went three and a half years in Luke. Changed my life. Any of you that have known me over that time would know. My life has changed. And that's through going through Luke. I'm not saying you need to come to my Bible study, but you don't. So where do you go then? You must be going somewhere through the week, right? You must be. And I'm being real with you because you need to. Coming church on a Sunday cannot hold you as a Christian. You're lying to yourself. How often do you reach out to your brothers and sisters? Do you know where anybody else lives? This is truth. This is real. We are church. Jesus is coming back for us. Is he going to say, my good and faithful servant? 
Is he going to recognize the church? When we look for revelations, we hear about the different churches. Now, what, who do we measure up to? Please stay close to God. Be attentive to him. Be a good we are. Be among his people. Be in his word. Be still within his presence. And stop busying yourself with everything that takes you out of his presence. Wait on the coming of King Jesus. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works, Ecclesia? Are you ze- Do you know what zealous means? Are you zealous for good works? And I'm not judging you and saying you're not. Like I'm better than you. No, it, it, don't go, it definitely don't go like that. But are you zealous? We must ask ourselves, am I zealous for good works? Are you redeemed? Are you hungry for more of God and his goodness? Do you look out for each other, Ecclesia? Do people come into our fellowship and by the love that we have for one another know that we are followers of Jesus? Is someone else going to do that? Is that their role? Is it, is it Mikey's role to go and evangelize? Is it, we have a welcome team still, don't we? Is it a welcome team's job to welcome? Are you waiting on the Lord? This is a very real question you've got to ask yourself. Are you waiting on the Lord? Final heading. Am I doing all right for time? My thing says four seconds. So I've only done something on my right. I, I didn't press go. I cheated. Finally, the heading is declaring. And we're not talking about this recent, you know, people say, I declare and decree, and they speak of your life. Like, I'm not talking about that. Paul is telling Titus to declare the things Paul has instructed him. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Saul of Tarsus, whose name would later be changed to Paul was initially a zealous persecutor of Christians. Of anyone that believed in that Jesus was Messiah, he was going to get rid of them. You can read Acts 9. While traveling to Damascus in in 33 AD, three years after Jesus' um, resurrection, he was miraculously confronted by the Lord Jesus and brought to repentance. Jesus, Yeshua, invaded his life. While he stayed in Damascus, a believer named Ananias received a vision that revealed why Paul was called and chosen to ultimately take on the responsibility of an apostle. Acts 9 verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was an apostle in the truest sense of the word. An apostle of Jesus Christ sent with authority to act on Christ's behalf. Paul had a specific and clear instruction, and it was controversial because reaching out to the Gentiles. And it required full compliance and obedience on Paul's behalf to trust God who was sending him. Go to the Gentiles. As I said earlier, Jews were forbidden by their own made-up law to interact with Gentiles. That's anyone non-Jewish, you and me. Although some of you may have Jewish descent. How do we know? Paul had authority given to him to reach all men. Paul was now sending and instructing Titus with the same authority to go to Crete. Giving Titus authority to go and sort out these wayward church leaders and congregations. Everything we see in churches today. Teaching for profit. Fake healings. I'm not saying God don't heal. But there's too much fake foolishness going on. All of these things that we see, fake healers, religious demands that you have, to, you have to follow, pray like this, pray to this, do that. All these religious demands, you must get baptized, you're not saved, or you must speak in tongues, you're not saved. All of these religious demands, we're trying to get a foothold in the early church. Remember Simon the sorcerer? We have holy for them now. God dealt with it. In those first days of, at the beginning, God, God, God stepped with it. Ananias and Sapphira, trying to lie to the Holy Spirit. God dealt with it. Immediately, bam, bam. And he dealt with it in a very 
seeing way, either supernaturally or through the apostles and the authority that was given to the apostles. This way, the church could grow on a solid foundation, being able to identify very clear doctrine that we have today. So what about all the madness now pretending to be Jesus? The white guy with the blue eyes and blonde hair that you see doing this thing, you know? The one that just loves everybody. You can just live how you want. Boy, girl, not make a difference. You can do it with whoever, marry whoever. What about this? Just fully accepting that fake Jesus. All these different fake Jesuses. Is it our job to rebuke with all authority? Is that what the scripture is saying? Because I say that's not what it's saying. I've got one. Thank you, bro. Thank you. I would suggest that before you even consider such a, such a thing, exercise authority in your own life over your own flesh and sin. I, I used to hear people talk about they, they go and beat up the devil, and especially doing music, like some of these songs about they're going to brock up the devil and beat him up and trample the devil. And you can't even, you can't even control your own flesh. Your own flesh is not under subjection. You have lustful thoughts in your mind. Your anger is rising up. Yet you're going to step on the devil. Sort yourself out first. D.L. Moody, this is one of my favorite quotes. I quote it all year. Sorry for Bible study crew. D.L. Moody said the best way to see if a stick is bent or crooked is to lay a straight stick next to it. Be that straight stick. Christians, be upright, full of integrity, full of the Holy Spirit. And what if you're here today and, and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus' lordship? Are you here today still an enemy of God? God is calling you. Can I ask us to be still, to close our eyes where we're at and be still for a moment? God is calling you. And it's time to respond. It's time to receive the gift of salvation. No man seeks God, but God is the one that draws all men, and God is drawing you. God has drawn you to this place today. You can't fight against God. You can't keep putting off what you know to be true. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to surrender your life. Repentance is something that will come from, from salvation, you know. It's to turn from your sinful life. And, and it's a thing that you, you, you will be going through for the rest of your life, you know. It's not, you're, not, you're not to be perfect immediately, but you are in God's eyes because you're a new creature in Christ. If you're in that place today, you could have been coming to church for the longest time. You could be a member of a church. That don't mean that you're, you're, that don't mean you're saved. The only way to be saved is to believe in Jesus and to confess with your lips that he is Lord of your life. If you're in that place today, if people with their eyes shut, just put your hand up. If you're in that place today that, that you recognize that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you want to be saved, put your hand up. No one's going to ask you to stand up or do nothing else. Just put your hand up if Jesus is Lord of your life. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I'm either talking nonsense or I'm talking truth. Your heart knows. The Bible says that everybody knows that there is a God. God has given us his instructional manual. He's given us his Bible. We can get to know him so well. It's so beautiful. But hear this. God loves you. God knew you before your bones were knitted together in your mother's womb. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that every hair on your head is numbered. I'm not assuming there's actual numbers on your head. But what it's showing you is that God knows you so well. He created you. He created you for a relationship with him. You've lived your life worrying about many, many other things and never given him room. And guess what? Some of those things, he's interested in them as well. And he wanted to do them with you. He wanted to help you in those dark times. He wanted to be with you. But you haven't given him room. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to receive him into your life. It's to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Can I invite the worship team back up?
We need change. We need change as individuals and we need change as church. The sermon today is really, really about grace, which is a beautiful, wonderful, exciting thing for those who receive it. Receive it today. It's gonna, it's gonna pray again. You guys can start whenever. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that that you haven't deserted us. And as Pastor Ephraim said earlier, you you will never leave us. You have promised to to finish the work you start in us. We have an assurance that we will rise again in Christ. And Lord, we thank you. Help us to live with expectant hearts, Lord, knowing that you are returning. I pray for change within this church, Lord, within the individuals in this church. I pray for change for the sinners that are here today that don't know you. Those who have never made that confession of faith to say, Jesus is Lord of my life, I pray that today is the day they make that change. Because tomorrow is promised to nobody. The Bible says that you hold our breath in your hands, Lord. I pray that someone makes that change today. And I pray that all the Christians, all of those that made that, that decision, all, those, all that time ago, all those years ago for some of them, that now they're going to take it serious. They're going to realize, no, it, it, I have to actually be proactive. I want to love people. I pray for change, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for brothers like Zebedee stepping up and doing men's breakfast and, and, and Lisa with the, with the women's and, you know, people, all these people that are stepping up and doing things. I thank you for their lives, Lord. I thank you for the pastors, for the leadership. I pray that no one would grow weary, that we would continue doing what we have to do. And I pray that others would, would be inspired, as, 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 as Zebedee quoted earlier, Hebrews 10, 24, 25, inspired to do love and good works. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.